Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold, and I love being here with you. So thank you for tuning in. And if you, uh, I hope you had a great weekend, and I hope your week started off well. And I always love Mondays because I think it gets the week started once again. And I look forward to everything's going on this week and this month. And I'm excited for Christmas, and I hope you are too. And I've got a great show for you today. Patrick is going to join me in just a minute. And then the Monday afternoon mix will feature Kyle Bear, who's coming back. He's going to talk about the Star of Bethlehem and why it's important. And then Dr. Mark Muska will join me in hour two. And we're going to ask the professor anything we want. Like, Mark, why are you so smart? Because he's a pretty smart guy. So get your questions ready. Anything that you want to ask Mark about something that you've studied in the Bible or something you need more information on, let me know. You can send the questions over at any time. The text line is already open. 877-933-2484. You know, I like a merry heart. It's like good medicine. And I like starting my week with my friend and colleague, Patrick Albanese from the great state of Iowa and the prestigious town of West Des Moines. Patrick, welcome. Hey, there? thank you, Bill. By the way, uh, like your other guests, uh, I, oh, I, I think I'm there. Yeah, yeah, you're there. Yeah, welcome. Can you hear me? Oh, I can. Oh, there I am. I'm, I, I might be on delay. <laughs> I don't know. You've been on delay for a like while. Like your other guest, I too am an expert. Really? On what? I have been on delay. I'm, I'm just a late bloomer. Okay. I'm an expert on experts. <laughs> I can point you to the expert that will answer your questions. If yeah. you need an expert, I'm your expert. I like <laughs> that. You find the experts. I like that. You you get smart people, and but you kick the week off with me, and I appreciate that. I do. I I like yep. starting off on on a lighter yep. note. Uh, there's certainly enough to be stressed out about, um, and and always uh, like Scripture says, a merry heart is like good medicine, and that's true. So. I have a question for you, Patrick. When was the last time yeah. you used an expression that you thought, uh-oh, what I just said I think makes me sound old? Almost like it was an outdated expression or one that younger people looked at you and thought, what are you talking about? <laughs> well, uh, I, I, I'm afraid that happens to me somewhat more frequently than I want to admit. <laughs> uh, I, would, I would agree that to that also. You know, it, I, use, I still use grandmother sayings. Yeah, yeah. Did you, you do? Has this happened? You bring this up because this must have happened. To well, you. It did happen a couple of months ago, and I've been thinking you, about it ever you since. You didn't say bees. No, you I didn't say bees knees. Did no, you? I didn't say that. I didn't say that. I made some expression yeah. like that. That's like shooting fish in a barrel, and people looked at me like, "What are you talking about?" And I thought, "Well, that's an expression <laughs> I've heard for decades, and I think it means uh, the job was easy, right?" Yeah, not much of a challenge, yeah. really. Uh, uh, you know, it's it, I mean, they had that. There was a phrase, you know, that's like taking candy from a baby, which which is supposed to also mean that something's easy. Mm-hmm. I always thought it'd be easier to give candy to a baby. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, you know, the proper use of that phrase should be that's like giving candy to a baby. That's how easy it is. So they had not, or did they? Okay, I had a, a similar thing happen uh, with my wife. 
where she gave me this puzzled look and uh, because she didn't understand what I had used a phrase. Um, did these people give you that look like, well, they go, well, that would be cheating. That would be so easy. Why, why <laughs> who would, who would, what did they, was it just a puzzled look on their face? It was, like, I, I didn't don't, know what you're talking I don't about. Know or what did you, they say? No, I don't know what you meant by that. It was that look. And I just kind of moved on. Okay. We so, must be on delay. Uh, we were trying to, am I on a delay? Yeah, you must huh. be because you're not responding in your normal, your normal fashion. I could be slow today. Yeah, no, I don't think you're slow today. I think we're, yeah. we got a, a, a technical yeah. glitch, but we'll figure that out at the break. Um, so anyway, yeah. you were saying to your wife what? Yeah. I, I, we were trying to decide between, I, it might have been, you know, what to have for dinner. And uh, I said, well, you know, it's six of one, half a dozen of the other. And then I get that puzzled look. Uh, I said, I have now exposed myself for being much older than I try to pass for. And uh, she said, well, th- those are the same thing. You know, six, six and a half dozen are the same thing. I said, well, right. Well, that's what the phrase means. It's the same thing. There's no difference. She said, well, then why would you use the phrase? Why would you say <laughs> six yeah. and a half dozen of the other when you can just say it's the same thing? I said, well, I don't know. That's six and one half dozen of the other. <laughs> <laughs> she completely did not get the joke. She says, "Well, you, there you go again. You did it again." Yeah. Just say it's the same thing. Well, that's, so uh, that's, we have a we have a an ongoing battle over that phrase now. Well, that's more than you can shake a stick at. Yeah. yeah that grandpa used to do the shake a stick at and better than a poke in the eye with a short <laughs> stick. And I thought, yeah, pretty much everything. <laughs> I don't know the origin of uh, this this stick shaking that we we uh, seem to have uh, put a lot of our cliche phrases around but uh, apparently it's gone by the wayside no more shaking sticks yeah and yeah. Sp- splitting hairs and I, I know that's an expression let's not be splitting hairs about that have you ever tried to split a hair just quite just curious I would believe it takes a lot of concentration and focus. <laughs> I would think so too yeah I, I don't but yeah. What did did your did anybody use the phrase? And I, and I haven't picked this one up. You know, you uh, you catch more flies with uh, sugar than honey than vinegar. More more with honey. Yeah. Oh yeah, honey. Yeah, but yeah. I've um, never used grandma that. My grandma would often say sugar, but sometimes she'd interject. Yeah. But I, I've never. Not only have I never used it, I was thinking, why would I want to catch flies in the first place? <laughs> right. I mean, right. if you're it was often if you were saying, well, I'm trying to win the, the attention of a, a girl at school. And uh, she would say, you know, you catch more flies with, you know, honey than vinegar. Or, than vinegar. And I thought, I, I'm, I'm not sure who you're insulting here. It could be me. could be her. It could be all of us. <laughs> could be the flies. Exactly you never know. You never here? know. I never quite understood that phrase. All right, Patrick. I'm in seek of a yeah. better connection. So I'm going to take a break a little bit earlier and we're going to reconnect with you. If you are um, thinking of your uh, one of your favorite expressions, maybe you've used for decades. I'm so curious to know what it is, and do you still use it? 877-933-2484. Be right back. Mm-hmm. 
Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. What would you do with a brain if you had one? Do? Why, if I had a brain, I could... I could while away the hours, conferring with the flowers, consulting with the rain. And my head, I'd be scratching while my thoughts were busy hatching if I only had a brain. I am back with my friend and colleague, Patrick Albanese. And uh, hopefully, Patrick, you have not been bent out of shape as we've tried to wrap our head around something here in the studio. I, I have not. No, I am not bent out of shape. All right, good. One bad yeah. cliche after the other. Well, you know something, uh, let's use every cliche in the book, shall we? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a dime a dozen, that's for sure. Oh, well, you don't get something for nothing. Yeah, and let's not cut corners. Come on, I don't want to miss the boat. No, no, no. We should just get down to brass tacks and see if we can. <laughs> <laughs> mark my words, we will, all right? I will mark you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we need to get out of this conversation with the skin of our teeth, don't you think? Oh, you know something, or is it the skin of your nose? It's oh, yeah. Yeah, did you ever know what nose. that meant? Did you ever know what that meant? It's no skin off my nose? Uh, so, yeah, I did look it up because uh, somebody used it, and uh, and I don't know if I buy either explanation. Mm-hmm. One of them kind of made sense was that uh, the you nose to the grindstone, keeping your nose to the grindstone, uh, which would be uh, definitely a great way to lose some skin off your <laughs> nose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So apparently, no skin off my nose means I'm not put. I don't have to put much effort into it because I'm not actually hitting the nose to the grindstone. Yeah, that one kind of works. And then there was another one that was a boxing reference that uh, you know a light. Uh, you know, if somebody's trying to give you a, a, a good punch and they just caught the tip of your nose, it was like, eh, you didn't even get any skin off my nose. Yeah. So in other words, it's so, not affecting you negatively, and you. Right. It's because you march through your own drummer, right? I march to my own drummer. Yeah. You know, uh, I avoid cliches like the plague, as you know. And uh, wait a second, that's an exaggeration, which I have <laughs> promised myself a million times I would not do. Yeah. All right, here's here's one that came in from a listener. As a busy mother, I many times I'm saying, I just have too many irons in the fire. What does that mean? Well, I do know what that means. Okay, well, good. That's, that's, that's got to be either a branding thing or like horseshoes. You know, you think of a blacksmith keeping the uh, the metal irons in the fire, and if you had too many of them, you maybe you couldn't properly, maybe you were making swords? I don't know, but it's got to have something to do, it's, it's probably not an actual iron. Okay. I hope it's not an actual, well, then again, didn't they used to put an actual iron, like, over a fire to heat it up? I would, I think so, yeah. The, I don't must have, yeah, because, I mean, I remember my mom trying to iron, always having to iron my dad's shirts. He only wore white shirts. Yeah. So what's your I point? Have... I never understood the need to have 10 white shirts. It's like, I think one ought to cover you, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, he's got to wear one the next day. I mean, you can't do laundry every day, right? My mom did laundry every day. Yeah. Well, there's eight kids in your family. All right, Patrick, yeah. what about this? My dad used to, this is another uh, listener. My dad used to refer to Hobson's choice. That was no choice. Yes. Um... Explain the Hobson's choice to me and to others. Oh, I re- hang on a second. I, uh, I honestly do. I remember looking this up once, and because uh, you and I have a friend named Hobson. Yes, we do. Yeah. Um, 
but um, I, 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 I believe that is exactly right, that there is, there's no free choice, which is kind of like a catch-22, yeah. right? Are you Googling like, right now, or can I not get blood from a turnip? You can <laughs> <laughs> I believe, or a stone. You can't get blood from a stone or a turnip. Right. I mean, that's working on a task with no hope of success. And if that's what you're doing right now, I, I need to know up front. Uh, no, no. It's, I, just, I recall that it, it is uh, a choice between two, um, like, neither one of them is a desirable. Okay. Well, I'm trying it to would, cut you some slack. Right. It, 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 it kind of like, as a kid, faking being sick so that you could get out of the math test. And your mother says, sure, you can stay home, but you have to do chores. (laughs) (laughs) So there's a Hobson's choice for you, I believe. Now, Ryan, who's uh, running the board today, was saying he used the expression, whatever floats your boat. And I asked him what that meant. And I think he said something to the effect of whatever you want to do. Is that right, Ryan? Does that sound about right? I'm going to put him on. Yeah, that's very accurate, and it's like a nice way of just saying, like, hey, I can go any direction you want me to go. Okay. I just what, want you to stay afloat. Whatever floats your boat. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, but now, so sometimes these things have unusual um, origins. Uh, you know, that, this one, I don't think it has an unusual origin. I don't think it's one of these ones, like, um, you know, uh, that's letting the cat out of the bag. We all know what it means, means. That it's yes, like aha, that's letting the cat out of the bag. Um, but uh, but what does it come from? Do you know where that comes from? Well, I don't know who put the cat in the bag in the first place. Well, why are you putting cats in bags? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's exactly my point. Well, it turns out there's a reason why somebody put a cat in a bag. Why is that? Because they were trying to pass it off as a pig in a poke. All right. Did, did, did you ever hear the, you know, you're buying a pig in a poke? A, big, a pig in a poke is a pig unseen. And often the pig seller would have a bag with a piglet in it and said, this is an amazing pig. Uh, these were the very first infomercials, by the way. This pig will change your life. <laughs> and there's more. And there's, but here's the thing is uh, I have to keep this little piglet because it is so strong and is going to be such a help to your farm that I, I cannot open the bag because the pig will run away. Uh, you're just going to have to take this pig, and the bag was called a poke, and you will have to put this pig right into the pen hmm. because it's just too strong. And then the person would buy this amazing pig, sight unseen, pig in a poke, get it home, and when they opened it up, it was a cat. Oh, that's... And they let the cat out of the bag. It's like, I've been duped. Yeah. So that's letting the cat out of the bag. However... I don't know anybody who's bought a pig and a poke in a long time. We now have an app on the smartphone to let you know <laughs> that's an, an actual pig or a cat. Yeah, bag. I was going to ask you: Are you pulling my leg? There's another good one too, and that's to, that. Yeah. You're basically kind of lying to someone as a way of teasing them. Is that a good thing? Yes. Is that a good thing? Uh, I think it's a good thing. I think it, 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 you're certainly not accusing them of lying. And there's no bad yeah. outcome necessarily, is there? No, I mean, it could be if somebody says, uh, hey, uh, you're not going to believe this, but I just won the lottery. Uh, you, you might say, oh, you're pulling my leg. Really? No, I didn't win. Yeah, I didn't think you won. No. I mean, you know. You have to buy a ticket could, first. I know. And, and the other thing is I know you bought a ticket. You've just been using the same one. 
And <laughs> and once you scratch those things off, they're not good anymore. Yeah, unfortunately. Grandma used to say, good manners don't cost nothing. Yeah. Uh, I like and I that. would often say, and neither does proper grammar. A listener just said, a friend of mine's grandmother in Alabama used to say, well, that's slicker than spit on a doorknob. I've never heard that one, to be honest. But I like it. I like it. And um, I don't know why you would do that to a doorknob. Unless uh, you're trying to keep somebody out. I you don't either. Turn it. No, I don't. I know. Well, did you ever do the thing where you grease the doorknob a little bit? With no. Like some, oh, like Crisco oil or, yeah, that used to be great fun with the, or, you know, with a bunch of siblings is to put a little Crisco because, yeah, there was always that tub of Crisco on the <laughs> countertop. <laughs> and, Which uh, got used for cooking everything, right? Oh, there was nothing my mother wouldn't fry. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Uh, in fact, we, well, this actually sounds pretty good. Eggnog French toast. Oh, that does sound good. Yeah, that actually does sound pretty good. Yeah. But yeah, so spit on a doorknob. Slicker than spit on a doorknob. Yeah. Well, are we losing this though? I mean, does anybody, we don't have fun and cliche, and I don't want to call them cliche, we don't have fun expressions um, Expressions yeah. anymore. You know, here's one that gets still gets used fairly often is we need to talk about the elephant in the room. Yes. That one still has some, some life in it, I think. And and, yeah. and hitting the nail on the head, that gets used a fair amount, too. Well, I think some of those, like that one's kind of self-explanatory. You want to hit the nail on the head, although that might have an origin where you say, oh, that's not what that means. I mean, getting down to brass tacks, which I did use earlier, you'd say, well, what are brass, what does that mean, getting down to brass tacks? Yeah, I have no idea. I think uh, I've said I, that I think before, though. An, yeah, I think it's uh, an upholstery term that when you're getting to the, uh, like putting together a piece of furniture, everything was assembled with these brass tacks. And when you're getting down to brass tacks, you're maybe getting down to the details, the detail work. Mm-hmm. I believe that's uh, the origin. I used to know the origin of everything, yeah. believe it or not. Well, I just got some more information coming on the text line regarding pulling uh, someone's leg. That's from Genesis when one of the twins uh, grabbed his brother's heel, pulling your leg. So that I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah. So it essentially me, well, was, that was not a joke, though. <laughs> no, no. Here's yeah. another one. My dad used to say a blind man on a fast horse could have seen that. Oh, my. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, spit on a doorknob was to polish the brass. That's what you do. That's why you spit on a doorknob. Oh, and you know what? It makes it kind of slippery. Yes, it does. Yes. I absolutely get that now. Yeah. And how about this? I'm I'm struggling with the blind man on a fast horse. Yeah, I've never heard that one. No. How about this one, Patrick Albanese from the great state of Iowa? Um, Listener just said, did you mention don't throw the baby out with the bathwater? We have not mentioned that. But that one still gets some use, doesn't it? I use it. Oh, Uh, okay. uh, But, you know, I should try to. So my kids are 12 and 13. And that's a great sounding board uh, for trying some of these things out because uh, they, they are interested, believe it or not, or they feign interest in what does that mean? They find it, you know, they, mm-hmm. they, they kind of like the origin of things. Uh, but, um, you know, the lack of them using some of these phrases later kind of tells me what they really think about it. <laughs> yeah. Although, oh, so my, my daughter today w- was cast in a play. She's 13. 
And uh, she got, it's Alice in Wonderland, she got cast as the Mad Hatter, which mm-hmm. I think is a pretty cool thing. And so I said, congratulations, I sent her a text. And, uh, um, and then I used an obscure reference. And I thought, well, this is just going to go over her head. She's 13. I said, do not ingest any mercury. Mm. So do you already know where I'm coming from on this? Uh, yeah, I do, but go ahead. Yeah, because the Mad Hatter, uh, you know, uh, the reason why people that did chapeau art or mm-hmm. made hats, they used to dip their fingers uh, in mercury so they could work with the felt, and they, they find out that the mercury poison made people get a little bit mad, crazy. Mm-hmm. crazy. Yeah. So I thought, well, okay, I'll just have some fun with this. And three seconds later, a text comes back, says, don't worry, Dad, I'm not into method acting. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> so I said, oh, she knew. And I like she that. Got a witty response. Yeah. I've done my work. <laughs> All right. Some more comments are flying in here, Patrick. My mother deep fried her French toast, thought she was the only one. No. Yeah. No, a yeah. uh, restaurant I used to go to used to take a cinnamon bun, cut it up, deep fry it, Ooh. give you uh, a pound of butter and a gallon of syrup and um, a bed. You were gonna have to <laughs> and 10% off on angioplasty. Yes, yes. Came with an EKG coupon. Yeah. yeah okay, brass great. tax on shoes. I don't know what that means, but... Oh, that's yeah. where, maybe that's where the brass tax yeah. are. Uh, <gasps> what about... Wait, think about it. Do you, 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 do you tack the heel on with brass tax, and if you're wearing out the heel, I, I don't know. Yeah. How about mm-hmm. uh, they're an eager beaver, and the early bird gets the worm? But what does the early worm get? Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the eager beaver. I mean, I assumed all beavers were pretty eager. They're they're always, you know, doing construction. They never take a day off. So, uh, and the early bird. Oh, yeah. Okay. Here's another one. My grandma used to say, good night, nurse. Is that ringing a bell with you? That is not ringing a bell. Good night, nurse. Yeah, I don't even know what that means, but I love it. Yeah. Wow. I, um, I mean, I said that one night in the hospital a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here's another comment. I bet it was so obvious that you could see it, catch it, even while moving at high speed and even if you were blind uh, and moving at high speed. I, that's the expression. Kind of, a, kind of an odd one, Yeah, but there it is. Yeah, uh, and, you know, I've always been the blind squirrel finds the occasional acorn. Yeah. How about, how about don't look a gift horse in the mouth? Oh, that's about the teeth. What does that mean, though? Well, you you could tell the real age of a horse by looking at its teeth. And uh, so if somebody were to give you a horse, say, here's a horse for you. Say, well, hang on a second. Let me see how old this horse is. Oh, okay. So you're looking at a gift horse in the mouth. You're getting a free horse, and you're complaining about how old it is? <laughs> you know, I mean, I remember when I needed a vehicle and somebody said, well, I've got this 71 Dodge. I said, oh, gee, I don't know if I could be seen in that. All <laughs> no, right. I accepted the vehicle. Yeah. I got tons more coming in, too. So we're going to have to call it uh, enough for today and we'll maybe revisit this again. This was fun. Patrick, thanks long so much. As long as we're not a day late and a dollar short. That's, that's right. Yeah, that's right. We'll right. move on. Patrick, thanks. And we will Thank talk you. to you soon. Patrick, right, Patrick Albanese has been my guest. Thanks for the playfulness, Patrick. Fun way to get the week started. Take a break, and the Monday afternoon mix continues. Pastor David Miles and Kyle Bear.
A mysterious star in the sky. It's bright like one and shines like one. A baby lying in a manger. There he is, after all this time. And a fulfilled promise. You will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. In Fulfillment is a biblical audio drama, over 40 voice actors, and the fulfilled moments of Jesus' life. Search In Fulfillment wherever you listen to podcasts, or just go to myfaithradio.com. That theme is more recognizable than the James Bond theme. Yes, That's it is. That's the Monday afternoon mix. Yes. Mix, 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 mix. Pastor David Miles is here. Rosie B is off. And our special guest, Kyle Davison Bear, is with us today. We're doing part two of our Christmas discussion, and he has got some fascinating things to share today about the star of Bethlehem. Indeed. Kyle, welcome back. Thank you. Good to be here. Yeah, thank you. And you're so nice to bring five copies of your book, The Quest for Christmas, Examining the Evidence for Belief. Mm -hmm. That's the name of his book. And I have five copies to give out to lucky people. What a great Christmas gift or what a great Christmas read. So now is the time uh, throughout the next uh, 30 minutes or any time today to text the word book. When you can do that, text the word book to 877-933-2400. Eight four, eight seven seven nine three three two four, eight four. David, we're going to learn some stuff today. We are, man. And you know, one of the things that is just absolutely fascinating is that a little bit a while ago, we had uh, got some beautiful pictures from the James Webb Telescope mm-hmm. of the beauty of God's creation. And when Psalm nineteen talks about God's beautiful handiwork, you know, he talks about the heavens and he talks about the stars. Mm. And uh, I love stars. You know, I love, you know, one thing getting up early in the morning, super early and going for a walk or a run. Mm-hmm. It's super dark. The stars are out. It's absolutely beautiful. And not only stars beautiful, but Kyle's going to talk with us today that stars actually have a meaning and they declare God's handiwork and actually speak to some really important wow. things this time of year. So can I ask the first penetrating you, question? You may. All right, Kyle. Why do people think the star of, what, what do they think the star of Bethlehem is? Yeah. Most people don't know. Uh, Yeah, so please, enlighten us. (laughs) It's fascinating to talk to people about this. Uh, I find people are in two camps. If they're skeptical of the story, they'll think it didn't really exist. It was just kind of a detail, you know, drummed up to spruce up the story, make Jesus seem more important. But if they're believers, uh, they, they kind of believe it happened, but don't really parse out exactly what it is. You know, maybe it was a meteor, maybe it was some special supernatural thing, you know, maybe something in the heavens, but people just don't know. They just kind of read the story and accept it, and, well, that's nice. But there's a lot more to it. I'm anxious to hear more. Me too. Um, And maybe we should start with why this star of Bethlehem matters. Yeah, that's an excellent question. Okay. Um, The star matters for one thing. It's it's in Matthew 2. Matthew gives us some really key details about it. And it just, it gives us a place to test Matthew's account, to test the veracity of what he says. You know, can we trust him in all these little details, even about something as you know, seemingly outlandish as the star of Bethlehem, can we trust the text in its details? Or do we have to just kind of push those to the side and, you know, maybe just look for moral and spiritual truths? Like, yeah, how, to what level can we trust the text? 
this gives us a way to to assess that, to really probe in and see what we find. Mm-hmm. Well, here's a question that is in my head because images stick with you when mm-hmm. you w- will see something on television or you'll see a, a Christmas card and, and that star is like hovered over the, the manger scene, almost like a direct beam of light coming down. Right, right. And of course we know that's not the way it worked. <laughs> no, not at right? all. But, yeah. um, uh, le- you know. That's a good point to, to, to note there. In the ancient world, we sometimes forget in our modern era, the ancient world had almost no light pollution at night. So if there's anything glowing in the sky at night, everybody would see it. No kidding. Yeah. If it was this big, you know, kind of cross-shaped star, you know, pointing right down to the manger, everybody in eyesight would be running to that place. You know? But we know from the text that's not the reaction they got, so that's not what the wise men saw. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's interesting even about the star, because last week, Kyle, you were pointing us back to how Scripture just shows the veracity of that in history as well. You know, and in Numbers twenty four seventeen, as Balaam's kind of giving this oracle way, way back then, uh, it talks about, you know, of him who hears the word of the Lord and knows the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty. So God's knowledge, falling down with his eyes uncovered, I see him, but not know. Behold, I excuse me. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. And, uh, you know, just the beauty mm-hmm. of, of, of stars. I mean, like, Jesus is a bright and morning star. He's the lily of the valley. I mean, like, just all these wonderful things that speak through Scripture. Mm-hmm. And two, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, uh, is multiplied. They do. For a long time, the star was associated with Messiah. You know, even when you look through history at other people that um, claim to be the Messiah, you know, around the time of Jesus, you know, before or after, uh, one man was named Simon Bar Kokhba. Sorry, Bar Kokhba. Ooh, that's about uh, my, my mouth is dry. Forgive me. Uh, anyone who knows how to pronounce that, I apologize. <laughs> I don't but know anyway, if you said it right or not. <laughs> uh, the name means son of the star. And he ah. was given that name by a rabbi who believed he was Messiah because they just had that connection that if this man is Messiah, he is the son of the star. Hmm. That, that connection has been there for a very long time. And so it's no surprise to us, if you have a, a Jewish background, that the star would show up in the birth story of Jesus. Yeah. Try that half-court shot one more time. Simon Bar Kokhba. <laughs> that is a half-court shot. That is. <laughs> and I'd say he put it in the net. I think so. Yeah, I think so, too. I think so. Yeah. All right. Um, Kyle Bear, he was our guest today. We've got five copies of his book, The Quest for Christmas, Examining the Evidence for Belief. Get in on the drawing. Text the word book to 877 Eight four. When we uh, check what the Bible's uh, what the Bible claims, um, we have the chance to check the Bible's claims by science. What do we find? Yeah. Well, the, the Bible uh, gives us ten clues that uh, just tell us what to look for in the heavens. And so I'll just walk through the story of Matthew two and pull out these ten clues. This is a very familiar story. Probably half the listening audience could recite it by memory. But, awesome. Uh, as I'm going through it, just kind of have in your mind. What details are important? If I was going to verify this, what details do I need to pull out of the text? Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now, that almost flows off the tongue. It's so familiar, but there are five Mm -hmm. clues in those words. First, we know that whatever the wise men saw, it signified the birth of the king of the Jews. So to them, it, it was specific. It was 
a, a king. They were coming not looking for just a wise teacher. They were coming looking for a king hmm. and not just any king. They were looking for the king of the Jews. You know, they didn't go to Rome. They came to Jerusalem. They were looking for the king of the Jews. And then somehow it told them he had been born. You know, not just that he had a great battle or was coronated or something, but the birth. So whatever they saw was specific enough to tell them birth, king, Jews. Hmm. And they said, we saw his star in the east, or some translations say rising in the east, you know, which is just what stars do. That's They rise in the east. It was one of the normal stars in the field of stars in the heavens. Mm-hmm. And then fifthly, they said, we have come to worship him. You know, we didn't just come to pay homage. We didn't come to build an alliance. We, we came to worship him. So th- whatever they saw told them those details specifically. This is the king of the Jews. He has been born and we have come to worship him. Now, there are five more details, which I'll just go through very quickly. When Herod hears this, of course, he is startled. Herod was incredibly paranoid about challenges to power. He killed three of his own sons because he thought they were scheming against the throne. Um, so when he hears of another king being born, he was paranoid. Uh, he was troubled, the text says. Uh, he summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And there's two more details in there. One, the star appeared at a specific time that could be verified, and then secondly, that everyone in Jerusalem had missed it completely. And that's a detail most people overlook. Wow. Yes. So say more about that, Kyle. Yes. Yeah. Well, if this was, you know, some people say maybe it was a nebula or, you know, some comet passing through the sky. If it was something big like that, everyone would have seen it. Yeah. And when the wise men got there, Herod would say, oh, yeah, you mean that big comet passing by overhead? You know, but, of course, he doesn't say anything like that. This is a time without any light pollution at night. Everyone can see the stars. Everyone knows what's up there. Nobody has seen anything out of the ordinary in Jerusalem. So when the wise men come, it's a total shock to Herod and everyone in the palace. I don't know what to make of that, David Miles. What about you? Well, you know, one of the very sobering things, well, one of the encouraging things is that wise people still seek Jesus to this day. Amen. You know, when you look at Luke chapter two and it's like in the days of Caesar Augustus and everyone's like, Caesar, super big. And like, you know, sometimes people are seeking in power and they're seeking in position instead of seeking the person of Christ of whom all of history and eternity surrounds itself. But then also um, in this, what uh, Pastor Kyle just noted is the, the um, one of the reasons why we talk about discipleship here is because we don't want to be like the religious leaders who happen to be in the temple trafficking in religious things and missing Jesus. Mm-hmm. Like to be very you know mindful to not miss Jesus, even as you go into this holiday season and you celebrate all these things, remember that really the reason for the season and the reason why there's even a season and the reason why you even have breath to take is because of Jesus. So, you know, when I read through that, sometimes I'm, I'm really sobered, um, you know, that they had to call together. And like you, like you say, Kyle, people were missing it. And, mm-hmm. you know, and, and sometimes it's, it's people that are outside that we think are quote unquote outsiders that sometimes see Jesus and are seeking Jesus really earnestly and see him more clearly. True. Let me just run through these last three points. Please do. Um. The wise men, of course, after they hear from Herod, uh, he tells them, you know, go to Bethlehem. That's what the prophecy says. You know, Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. So they leave Jerusalem. And after, uh, after they, you know, leave the city, the text says, behold, the star that they had seen 
when it rose, went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And those are the final three details. And that's where most people, where you see the star doing what most people think stars can't do. Because this star endured over a long period of time. The same star they saw in the east was now showing them where to go in Jerusalem. That star went ahead of them on the journey. Somehow it showed them the way to go from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. And then finally the star stopped in the sky above the place where the child was. Those are our ten details. Those are the ten clues Matthew gives us as to what this star could be. And then... Wondrously, miraculously, providentially, we live in a day and age with computer technology where we can uh, program into a computer the motions of the planets, the motions of the stars. You know, they're on regular courses and orbits. We can plug all that in. We can wind the clock back. We can look at the sky 2,000 years ago, and we can look for what the wise men saw. And wouldn't you know it, we find something. And I think we can see exactly what they saw. Wow takes me back to my earlier question about how this star can position itself over the house and indicate. That's very interesting. I think we're going to take a little break and come back and uh, ask Kyle some more about that because I find that fascinating. I've got five copies of his book. I want one so bad. Maybe I just have four copies of his book. Um, The book is called The Quest for Christmas, Examining the Evidence for Belief. You want to get in on the drawing? Text the word book to 877-9- Three three two four eight four is the Monday afternoon mix with Pastor David Miles and our special guest Kyle Davison Bear. We want to pray for you. We all need prayer. We would love to pray for you. The Faith Radio team is serious about prayer, and we pray for specific listener requests every week. Share your prayer requests with us anonymously and securely on our website at myfaithradio.com. Welcome to the cool jazz station. Oh, wait, that's my other job. Yes. Now, we're here at the uh, Monday Afternoon Mix. Show me right. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Pastor David Miles, special guest, Pastor Kyle Davison Bear. And we are chatting today about the Star of Bethlehem. Fascinating conversation. And right before the break, we were saying, all right, uh, how does this work? How does the star position itself so it's beaming down on this one location? I thought that was just in cards. (laughs) Well, yeah, it doesn't look like what you see in cards, but there certainly is something there. There's something the wise men saw, and thanks to modern technology, we can wind the clock back, we can look at the sky 2,000 years ago, and we can see what they saw. Spectacular. I love so what that. did they see? Yes. Well, they saw something pretty amazing happening in the skies of the years 3 and 2 BC, and the long and short of it, the, the star they were watching is the planet Jupiter. You know, in simple terms, the planet Jupiter is the star of Bethlehem. And right away, something should, you know, pop up in your mind. You know, Jupiter's a planet. It's not a star. How does that qualify? Well, in Greek, the word they're saying is the word astera. They saw his astera in the east. You can hear our word astronomy in that. 
And a stera can refer to a star, of course, but it can refer to a planet. They just called them wandering stars. Uh, in Jude 1.13, it says, you know, wandering asteras. So, you know, this word uh, can mean a star, it can mean a planet, it can even mean a falling star. So anything covered by that could potentially be the star. But when you see what's going on in the sky in the years 3 and 2 BC, there's just no doubt in my mind. It, it is so crystal clear. And the occurrence that happened then has never happened again? No. Do we know? Uh, wow. Entirely okay. unique. It's a one and done. Hmm. It's, it's pretty amazing when you get right down to it. Um, it starts in September of the year 3 BC. And right around the Jewish New Year, Rosh Hashanah, when you look in the sky, you see Jupiter approach Regulus, the star Regulus. Now, you may not have heard that name recently. With our telescopes, we can zoom in and see that Regulus is actually four stars really close together in the star field. But it's the brightest star in the constellation Leo the Lion. It's one of the brightest stars in the heavens, just regardless. You know, the name Regulus, you can hear Regal in there. Its name in Latin means little king because of how brightly it's shown in the heavens. Mm. Regulus was the king's star. And Jupiter, of course, has always been known as the king planet. It's the biggest, you know, the brightest of the moving planets in the heavens. And right in, at September and the Jewish New Year of, of 3 BC, Jupiter approaches Regulus. And normally every 12 years they approach and they just go past each other and it doesn't really mean much of anything. But in September of 3 BC, Jupiter passes once, then turns around and comes back, and then turns around and goes a, a third time. And when you're watching this in the sky and you're tracking it, uh, Jupiter, the king planet, draws a halo or a crown over the king's star. So you're, you're looking for a king in the heavens, something signified king. Well, how about the king planet drawing a crown over the king star? And that just screams king if you're paying attention. My, my, my. But that's just the first sign. You know, that's, <laughs> there are 10 details. That's just the yeah. first one. Because, again, they came looking for a king, but they came looking for the Jewish king. They came to Jerusalem. And so what's, what's the connection to the, to the Jewish people in the heavens? Well, it's the fact that Regulus is part of Leo the Lion, the constellation Leo the Lion. Uh, the Lion has always been associated with the tribe of Judah, all the way back in Genesis. At the end of Genesis, when uh, Jacob, you know, renamed Israel, is blessing all of his sons, he blesses Judah and says, Judah is a lion's cub. Um, the scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet. So you have this connection of ruling with Judah. You have the connection of the lion with Judah. And even today, when you look at the iconography of the country of Israel, you see the lion featured prominently. The lion is just a symbol of the Jewish people. So you see the king drawn in Leo the lion. You can see why they would understand the king of the Jews, something about him. But then again, that's only two. We need ten more. Well, Kyle, real quick. You know, we were reading just a second ago in Numbers mm -hmm. 24 and come across that. And it's and again it says, um, I behold him, a star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. Exactly. They need well, to be looking for the ruler, for the king. Keep going, bro. Yeah. So we can see the king, we can see the Jewish people. Now we need to see his birth. Somehow we need to see his birth written in the stars. Well, if uh, the crowning starts in September of three BC. What happens nine months later? If we're looking at birth, you know, nine months is a pretty significant time factor. What happens nine months after Jupiter starts crowning Regulus? Well, something amazing, something once in a lifetime happens. Jupiter approaches Venus. Now, Venus has always been known as the mother planet. Jupiter, again, is the king planet. And on June 17th of the year 2 BC, you know, nine months after the crowning begins, Jupiter approaches Venus. And they are both shining at their full brightness at that point. 
and they come so close to each other. They don't eclipse. They don't cover over each other. They kind of stack on top of each other, almost like a figure eight, and they are shining at the brightest they have ever shown. When this happened, it was the brightest star, not just in one lifetime. This was the brightest star in generations that anyone watching the heavens had ever seen or seen recorded. I mean, it was, an inc- it was just a mind-blowing event. But again, this is just the regular motion of the planets. You know, you're not looking at some, you know, mythical, you know, giant supernatural hand weaving across the star. You're just seeing Venus and Jupiter pass by, but they do so in such a way that should catch your attention. It's so bright. If you're paying attention at all, if you're looking, it should clue you into something happening. Well, Kyle, last night we were were driving from Jaden's basketball game, um, and as we were coming down the— coming down the road Tammy just pulled out her camera she said look and looked over and like the sun was coming down and it was this this bright orange but in ways it almost looked like it pulled apart like it was just just this big elongated and and we were just like wow look at that and I mean like it stopped us and but I had to turn back and look at the road so that (laughs) we could get here today but it was just amazing yeah are you talking about the same Jaden that's sitting on the floor of the studio right now Yes, that, that Jaden. Okay, awesome. Cool. All right. Uh, our hidden guest star. Kyle Bear is our guest. And let's talk about the Bethlehem star and what does this mean for the Christmas story? Well, I'll get there, but there's three hey, last details I want to cover. Oh, okay. I'm jumping way ahead. I'm looking at the time going, uh-oh. Yeah, we'll do this quick. Okay. So the wise men see this in the star. They see uh, the king. They see the crowning. They see Jupiter birthed out of the mother planet nine months later. I think at that point they start, they head to Jerusalem. It takes a few months to get there. They talk to Herod. He says, head to Bethlehem. They leave the gate of Jerusalem and they look south to Bethlehem. Now it's only five miles away from Jerusalem. You can see Bethlehem from the gates of Jerusalem. But wouldn't you know it, on December 25th of 2 BC, Jupiter is hanging dead in the sky right above Bethlehem, low in the sky. I mean, it is right above the city of Bethlehem. And Jupiter stops in the sky. You know, planets go through retrograde motion because the planets are moving, but the Earth is also moving, and sometimes your emotion makes it so that a planet seems to be moving one way across the sky and then stops and goes the other way. Well, on December 25th of the year 2 BC, Jupiter does that. It stops in the sky for six days, and it hovers immediately above the town of Bethlehem when you're looking south from Jerusalem. So when the text says that the wise men, you know, were told to head to Bethlehem, they leave the gate, they look down, and they see the star they've been following— immediately above the place they were told to go. I mean, Jupiter is literally leading them straight to Bethlehem. They just follow Jupiter and they head right to that city where the baby is born. And now Bethlehem, again, is a small place. They get there, they say, where's the king? Where's the king who was born? And everyone in that city knows. I mean, all the shepherds knew, everyone knew. They led him right to the Christ child. The star literally led the wise men straight to him. A listener question came in. Did the Magi dabble in the dark arts and then found God's truth? Interesting question. Um, I go into more detail on this in the book. I actually think the Magi are um, descendants spiritually of Daniel. Okay. They came from the east from Babylon. You know, Daniel made life so good for the Jewish people there that even when the exile ended and most Jews went back to Israel, many of them stayed behind in Babylon. And I think because Daniel was such an influential figure in that community— he stayed there, so there were spiritual descendants of him who knew the scriptures, who were watching the stars. They knew these prophecies. They knew what to look for, and when they saw it, they came to Jerusalem to find the king. Wow, that's awesome. All right, we're getting tight here on time, so I've got to ask this one more question. Just 
Um, I want to talk about the Christmas story and, and yeah. what do we, you know, what does it mean for the Christmas story? This, you know, is always an add-on, but it's really not an add-on, is it? Right. No, it's to not. the story. It's, uh, to me, it's one of the signs of how much you can trust the text. Amen. Because Matthew, when he wrote this down 2,000 years ago, he didn't know we'd have computers today. He didn't know we'd have the ability to look back and check his work. But of course we can. And when we press into it, when we press these details tightly, we find every one of them holds up to the letter. You can see exactly what the wise men saw. You can understand why they did what they did, why they came, why they came ready to worship this child. Because um, that detail of worship, there's a lot I could go into, but... Again, the prophecy, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and his name will be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. I think they knew that prophecy. I think Daniel knew that prophecy, and the people in his lineage were, in his spiritual lineage were waiting for that. They came to worship this king who had been born, this baby king of the Jews. Amen. Amen. Wow. Praise God. Yeah, I'm fired up. I'm fired up, too. Yeah, fascinating. All right, Kyle, you've got a lot of people interested, so thank you for sharing all this. Uh, and next week, he's... What? He's back next week? Yes, he is. I didn't know that. It's yeah, we said that last week. Really? Yeah. I, I feel like... So tell your friends. I was, I'm was. i always the last to know. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> so, good, because I have more questions, and, and I thought that this was it. So, uh, Kyle, you better bring more books next week. <laughs> I'll try. Oh, okay. <laughs> I will. I will. Right. I'll make that promise. I We've will. got uh, five copies. Now it's down to three copies. Because <laughs> I'm I checking things out. Yeah, Dave took, Dave, yeah we're, we got some issues. Okay. Uh, the Quest for Christmas, Examining the Evidence for Belief is the name of the book. If you want to get in on the drawing, text the word book to 877-933-2484. All right. We will pick this up next week yeah and get this I, I would encourage people to get this book for the skeptic that they know in their life that they're praying for yeah no kidding no kidding that would be a good idea david miles all right we'll take a little break but then when we come back i hope you've got questions ready because my guest is dr mark muska and one of my favorite segments is ask the professor mark is a professor here at the university of northwestern for 30 seven years and he loves questions easy or hard doesn't matter to him text the question over to 877-933-2484 again 877-933-2484 i'll be right back Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.